Funding for Elwood City Limits is provided by Christopher Ifill, Ian Collis, John Dulong, Josias Melendez, Leanne S., Light Relentless, and Poolside123. If you'd like to support the podcast and get a little something for your trouble, go to patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. Support for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. Instagram. At Elwood City Limits. And through email. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And from listeners like you. Thank you. Well, I've been a patron of the arts lately. It's the International Film Festival here in Halifax, the Atlantic International Film Festival. Finn, they call it, and I've been uh, in between classes, been checking out some international film. I know it's not as high art as Arthur, but I've been seeing some pretty cool stuff. I went to see Mirai of the Future, Mira of the Future, however you pronounce it, the other day. I saw Climax last night at like 10 p.m., which is on a school night late for me. These, so, so these could very well be Lucas Mancini's film locks of 2019, depending on the kind of distribution that they get. Exactly, exactly. I'm going to see Mandy next week. I'm seeing Under the Silver Lake tonight, which I'm very excited for. Now, are, um, you, are, you a, are you a patron of the arts or are you a Patreon of the arts? Because I've been having some trouble with that myself. I think you, you're... You're not a Patreon of the arts unless I'm giving them a dollar every month. Mm. Um, and I get the exclusive arts podcast or something like that. Uh, but no, I've been a patron of the arts. It's funny. I was watching Climax last night, the new Gaspar Noe film, or however you pronounce his French name, uh, about a bunch of dancers who do acid and then everything gets all crazy. Oh, yeah, uh, that one. I've seen yeah, the trailer yeah, yeah. for that. Um, and there's a part in the Arthur episode we're about to talk about that's very brief um, where the adults are all dancing, but I had flashbacks to last night <laughs> and I was like, Whoa. Uh, but I will say for all, all of our Arthur fans out there who are big fans of animation, uh, Mariah of the future is a must see. It's amazing. So you should check that out. That's my big Lucas made CD recommendation of Finn thus far, but I am excited for under the silver Lake with Andrew Garfield. It's from the director of it follows. That's tonight. Oh, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. You're picking the good ones. Uh, yeah, and of course, we're uh, keeping that Halifax content fresh, even though uh, the considerations <laughs> for Best of Halifax are officially over. Uh, you, we can cut down our opening significantly in terms of time. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that's what's going on. I've actually been watching a lot more TV, and and because I've been, uh, I've been trying to make sure that I get rid of my Crave TV subscription before uh, the 25th, because I don't want to pay for another month. So I was mainlining uh twin peaks the return for the last couple of weeks finally finished What's, that yesterday what do you think well it's uh <laughs> it, it i i do i do appreciate that and if you want to hear my thoughts on the original twin peaks uh if you're a patreon subscriber for elwood city limits the episodic arthur podcast you can go to our patreon patreon.com slash elwood city limits i did a filibuster episode about twin peaks the return i think it's really cool to see what it's like if twin peaks was more Lynchian. It's like a really long David Lynch movie 
And uh, by the end of it, I wasn't exactly sure how I felt, but it was uh, definitely a fun ride to take. So what's next for Old Will on the Crave TV docket? I know they have Broad City. I hear they have The Sopranos. Well, are going to take a deep dive in on next? Well, actually, uh, not on Crave TV because, as I said, I had to, I'm going to get rid of the subscription for a little bit. Got to save some money, so it's back to Netflix. Uh, I just, I actually just finished both the uh, uh, fifth season of BoJack Horseman and the second season of American Vandal. Both very good. Would highly recommend. I've heard good things about the American Vandal season. See, Will, we're, we're men of culture. People think we just know about Arthur, but we watch all sorts of stuff. That's right. We are talented, very versatile uh, men about town, baby. We, we are humble, too. Uh, and, of course, by this point, if, if you're not already sure, my name is Will Young, and that's my co-host, Lucas Mancini. Hello, hello. And we are here to talk about Arthur, and so are our lovely listeners, of whom gave us a couple of emails over at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. This first one comes in from longtime emailer Urz Cat. Uh, email's titled, If I Haven't Seen It, It's New to Me. Dear Will and Lucas, a few years ago, my sister and I wanted to go back and rewatch Arthur because it's a really good show, but we got bored a few episodes in because we knew it all. I didn't I didn't want to just skip forward to an episode we didn't recognize because I felt like I wanted the context of knowing what had aired beforehand. Your podcast has been really useful for me to substitute rewatching episodes I know by heart, but this last pair of episodes that we covered, Real Quest and Double Dare, uh, I couldn't remember, and in fact, I don't think I ever saw. It was exciting to watch these episodes I missed so I could listen to your discussion. That's a cool thing, too, is like when we're not sure of the episode we're watching before we go into it, and then we kind of get to rediscover it a little bit because we're still we're in the wheelhouse now. It's going to take a while before we get to Arthur episodes we don't recognize. It's true. Like, I, I, I think you have a better memory with this stuff than I do. Like, a lot of times I'll remember specific moments or details from an episode, but not so much just seeing the title and recognizing the episode as a whole. Uh, it's There are different types of... It's different types of interesting, though, right? Like, when we watch an episode that we know off by heart, it's always an interesting thought experiment to return to that episode. But it's also fun to be surprised as well. Absolutely. Uh, Urs had a follow-up email about... Uh, last week we were talking about the this statement is false question. Oh, my gosh. So... They say, also, this statement is false is a logical concept known as a paradox. You want to, you want to talk about David Lynch, we're going we're gonna to go there. We're going to get transcendental in a little bit here. A paradox is simply a self-contradicting statement or an idea with incompatible propositions, such as a four-sided triangle. You may be more familiar with time travel paradoxes, where a character goes into the past and meets themselves, preventing them from time traveling. But if they don't time travel, there will be no one preventing them from time traveling, and this train of thought turns into a tight circular track. If you've never explained explored paradoxes before now i encourage you to seek them out they sure gave a younger me quite an enjoyable trip get into solipsism take an intro to existentialism class this purely theoretical mind space is one of my favorites um the only way to win is to not play at all i learned that from war games starring matthew broderick that's how he defeated the computer Mm -hmm. was with the paradox of tic-tac-toe so I've never seen that movie. Does does he beat the? You've computer? never seen war? Whoa, whoa, whoa! You've never seen war games? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's a good. It's it's. Uh, I, I I haven't watched it for a while, but um, it's like a it's like a pretty fun like eighties movie where like a kid almost nukes the world. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I do. I would like to at some point. But, anyway, uh, that's how he defeats the computer. Is he makes a paradox because like tic tac toe is inherently paradoxical mm-hmm. uh, when you both 
run out of moves and it's a tie. And then the computer's like, the only way to win is to not play at all. Um, spoilers for war games. Yeah, that's and, the, and that, then it stops the nukes. That that's the only thing that I know from war games is the only winning move is not to play. So I just don't have any context for that. All right, Nurse Cat, thank you for that. And we also have an email from longtime fan and social media supporter Kelsey Marie. Hey, Lucas and Will, I just wanted to tell you that Arthur and Buster aren't from New York. I've been trying to figure out where they live for the longest time, and I narrowed it down to two states, either Maine or, for a while, Minnesota. But Minnesota was knocked off the list when there was an episode on hurricanes later in the series. They do live close to New York, though. I've also thought of possibly New Hampshire as well. Um, so, of course, we've talked about this a lot, especially in the earlier episodes. I think we kind of figured it was somewhere like Pennsylvania or Chicago or one of those kind of... Massachusetts. Massachusetts. somewhere in Massachusetts. Somewhere within driving within driving range to New York, where it would just be like an afternoon mm. trip. So, and, ma- and it also seems like it's near beaches, so that kind of signs off mm-hmm. Chicago. Um, also, I feel like if... Uh, if Arthur, if Arthur was based in Minnesota, their regional accents would be a lot uh, <laughs> be a lot stronger. Just be like, "Hey, Buster, let's go on down to see Riddle Quest." Also, they'd Every also time, like, like Jesse Ventura. Everybody would be listening to This American Life uh, on their radio all the time. We get a lot more "Oh yas" in there. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think Minnesota's a good guess because it's near all the Great Lakes. I was just listening to on the Giant Bobcast. Um, how Dan Riker was asked what his favorite state was, and he always said uh, Minnesota because it's got the huge metropolitan area with Minneapolis, which is apparently a great city, but mm-hmm. it's also got the really rural, beautiful, like, all the lakes and stuff, uh, which kind of fits what we see in Arthur. I think what discounts Maine is that Maine doesn't have that kind of major metropolitan area that Elwood City is. Um, so I think right now we're, like, Massachusetts, maybe somewhere in the New England area. Yeah, uh, is is where we're thinking, but it's it, the mystery continues. I thought we had closed the book on it, but it keeps getting pried open. Yeah, much like the animal hierarchy, I don't think we're ever going to completely escape this one as long as we keep getting new listeners. Which, I mean, I certainly hope that we do. Uh, Kelsey also says. You did a podcast on one of my favorite episodes, A Thousand and One Dads. I myself come from a divorced family. It was cool to have that representation on a kid's show. Also, do you think we'll ever get an answer to how Ratburn's dad died since Ratburn said his dad was no longer around? Um, I don't think there's anything terribly salacious about that. Uh, I mean, my, my guess would be from old age. I mean, unless it was like some kind of uh, weird ballooning accident or something. Yeah, either old age, eccentric balloon accident, or he was killed because of his research. <laughs> or like Bojack's dad, he died in a duel. <laughs> there we go. He's like Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you both, Erskat and Kelsey Marie, for your emails. That's at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. We're going through the Emmy-winning season. I almost said nominated. Emmy-winning season of season five of Arthur here. Uh, speaking of the Emmys, which happened recently. And, uh, yeah, our first uh, first looking at this episode today is Kids Are From Earth, Parents Are From Pluto, which I didn't have much of a memory of, at least from the title. Yeah, me neither, actually. I, I think I remembered one joke from this episode once mm. I watched it. I was like, oh, this is the episode with that joke in it. But I hadn't really remembered the episode as a whole. So it starts off with Arthur in the cold open. He's... It, scientists like demonstrating the differences between an adult and a kid and how the adult may look like a larger version of the kid, but the differences are a lot more uh, subtle than that. And so kind of getting into uh, a little Even bit. though the pictures he uses don't really look like each other. <laughs> uh, yeah, Arthur's eyes are like 
on the on two sides of his head. <laughs> Looks a little bit strange. Um, but talking about you know all of those you know, kind of the first uh, the first kind of comedy that kids can have of just like don't you hate it when parents do this like really <laughs> really hashtag relatable like uh, uh, Arthur's mom making sure he bundles up before he goes out. Um, there's a thing here where we see Binky's mom like basically putting every type of winter clothing on him before he goes out. One of them is a balaclava, which is one of those uh, face masks, like yeah. face mask things. Like, you ever seen someone wear a balaclava that wasn't a bank robber? I feel like the- <laughs> I actually used to um, skiers do sometimes, but when I used to go winter camping uh, with my dad, my dad was a big winter camper. And when you are in like 20 below temperatures uh, in a lean to uh, balaclavas are a must. Except when I was a little kid, I didn't know how to pronounce it, so I called them baklavas, <laughs> which, of course, is not a, a, a ski mask. But, right, Biggie does look like he's about to post up a gas station or something. And, uh, yeah, and it's, it's it's just strange. Like I just realized, like, I don't really see anybody wearing that except for people I know that are up to no good. It's kind of <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a signifier in our world today. Uh, I feel like the the more modern thing today is to wear that kind of that mouth cover, that black mouth cover that you see like some skiers wear. I'm not sure what that's called, but it like fits around your neck and then you pull it up over your nose and mouth. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. This is this might be the earliest Arthur meme alert that we've had so far in the show, um, because adults are always concerned about sales. We see uh, Dad read. He's reading the newspaper at the. Uh, at the at the table, and he says, "Oh my gosh, there's a sale at Kitchen Crafts." And Arthur and D.W. are seated at the table, and he gets up and just runs to the store. And I've full def- sprint, like he doesn't even like <laughs> he just sprints, and he's like running down the street, even though he has a car. And I've definitely seen the the meme reacting to this of just like he just he just straight up left them at home. <laughs> It's pretty funny. My favorite part about this moment is we see like all the different adults getting excited about sales and the like the big payoff is Mr. Crosswire. It, he's at a buy one get one two sale and there's it's not shown to the audience what he's buying one of and getting two of and then it's it turns out to be yachts and he's like I, I I'll take a both. Uh get two for one yachts. It's very funny. It's a strange world where the used car salesman has yacht money. <laughs> And yeah, so these are kind of the things that adults concern themselves with, which looking back on as an adult, kind of funny. But at least we're you and I were not at that stage of adulthood yet. So I don't know. Maybe I will uh, get a get a hankering for a sale at Kitchen Crafts and leave my children. Oh, buddy! If there's a sale at the IKEA, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm there. Uh, so the main idea of this episode is that the kids are getting ready for parents' open house night, which is where. Uh, the kids bring their parents to school and they kind of go through different classes. Now, the the idea of parents open house night, do you think this is kind of an American thing? Because I think the closest we have is curriculum nights. Did you have curriculum nights? I, I don't, it's so long ago now that I barely remember. Like there's parent teacher night, of course. Um, I think there was a parents open house night when I went to private school in junior high. I went to the the Buddhist school and they do things, everything a little bit differently. So they might've done a parents open house night where they sit in on the classes. Mm. Um, But I I don't remember like in public school, anything quite like this. It might be more of an American concept. Yeah. Because right in, if you're a listener and, and you've gone to a parents open house night. Yeah, because parent-teacher conferences were like, uh, they would just kind of meet up in the gym and you would meet your kid's homeroom teacher either in the afternoon or the evening. 
Uh, and the curriculum night, I remember, was kind of a high school thing, and like I never brought it to my parents' atten- to my mom's attention uh, because I just didn't think it was anything. But I believe that was like going around to each of the classrooms and like finding out what the teacher has in store for you that year. They're kind of talking about how mortified they've been at these past open house nights. We actually get uh, a joke teacher that we haven't gotten in a while. I feel like it's been like back, all the way back in season one with like Mrs. Bofini, like the, the woman who chews a lot. In fact, she kind of Mrs. Bofini and Mrs. Drone here kind of look the same. Mrs. Drone is just like she's just uh, comically boring of just like on our field trip. We saw oak trees pine trees oak trees and francine's dad falls asleep in class and then uh accidentally wakes up and yells 44 because he was having a bad dream so that was the joke i remembered from this episode in fact i think i tried to repeat that joke in real life many a time when something was boring going on in class or something like that back in elementary school i would pretend to fall asleep and wake up and yell 44 uh so that definitely made an impression upon me um, it's fun during all these parent teacher flashbacks, everybody's wearing formal outfits, but it's new formal outfits for everyone. So, but Arthur's got this weird, like almost puke green collared shirt. Like it's like a short sleeve shirt. And he's, he's got like black pants that are cuffed at the bottom. Uh, it's an outfit we've like never seen him in before. Arthur's dad's wearing like red slacks. It's, it's pretty crazy. I've never, uh, you know what? I totally didn't notice that it's different formal attire, but you're absolutely right. Speaking of Dad Reed, uh, Arthur's mortified because uh, Dave Reed is the master, more like Dad Joke Reed over here. He tells this awful joke that you can just tell is meant to be bad. It's like, you, you know, you just hear the end of it. It's just like the waiter says, look at that S car go. And. <laughs> That's another one where I feel like I've repeated I've always one of my favorite things in cartoons is where you know a joke is supposed to be bad but you only hear the end of it not the setup like I always talk about in recess when a common uh 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 reoccurring joke in recess is hearing the end of a joke where someone goes that's no kindergartner that's my wife and you never really hear the setup to that joke um, and similar to look at that escargot is very funny to me for some reason. Yeah, it's a real so I says to Mabel I says situation. <laughs> uh, so Arthur is, of course, mortified because, and this is at the ice cream social part that is that is afterwards. Now, ice cream social was a different event altogether that we used to have at my elementary school, which was awesome because it was free ice cream. And, and so we eventually get through these. Uh, Sue Ellen has never done one of these because she is only new to the... Uh, to the school and that sounds like a great reason to call back to sue ellen's debut episode and a perfect opportunity to use some stock footage to eat up those precious seconds before we get to that there is a brief moment where they're talking about uh all the things that that their parents do that bug them and uh they they binky says well i have it worse than both of you and they say, well, what do you mean? Like, what What do your parents do? And then Picky says, can't talk about it. It's too horrible. And he runs away. <laughs> so, and then you can also, it's it's uh, uh, subtle, but you can hear ADR of him, like, screaming as he runs away. <laughs> like, he's like, I can't talk about it. It's too horrible. And then just if you listen really closely, he goes, ah, as he's running away. By the way, if you check out our Twitter at ECL Podcast, uh, our friend Nitro Rad recently shared the opening to Whimsy's House, which is also a show that uh, that friend of the show Bruce Dinsmore ha- did a voice on, and he had a very interesting fact about uh, recording the songs. Check out uh, at ECL Podcast and our recent tweets for more on that. 
so yeah, we do see the stock footage of everybody thinking that Sue Ellen was an alien from Sue Ellen's debut episode. What season was that from? I had almost forgotten about all this. First, first like, season. The invasion of the body snatcher stuff. Them thinking DW was an alien as well. Like it, it's been so long now. First season, eh? Yeah. Wow. And it's how fun- far we've come. Yeah, really. And it's funny because, uh, in fact, I remember that was the episode I believe that we did with our with our buddy, our pal Evan Stoney. Oh right. Our first guest uh, on uh, Elwood City Limits. Great guy, Evan Stoney. <laughs> it's funny. We uh, we almost get Sue Ellen commenting on the footage we show because there's that, you know, thing of the saucer of her and the rat kid and DW coming out as implying that they're aliens. And then Sue Ellen's like, I can understand why you think DW was an alien, but why me? And then uh, Arthur's like, this whole exchange is actually really, really funny because it is pretty rude to say that someone's an alien. Like, that's not a nice thing to say about somebody. And so uh, Arthur's like, uh, she's like, Buster thought I was an alien. Arthur's like, I'm sure he meant it in a good way. Uh, sort of kind of trying to brush it under the rug or downplay the fact that they all had these conspiracy theories about Sue Ellen. And in fact, Buster, and in fact, Buster kind of does because, because uh, Sue Ellen asks him straight out and he's like, I don't think you're an alien anymore, but that's okay if you were. I like aliens. No, he goes, uh, he goes, I don't think you're an alien anymore. Uh, but then he kind of walks it back and he's like, you're not an alien, right? <laughs> and then uh, Swellen's kind of incensed by that, and then he's like, "It's okay if you are. I like aliens. It's a friendly planet." This episode, I'll say this. Uh, we'll get more into this when we're talking about uh, uh, at the end of the episode. Uh, this episode had me laughing a lot. Like, there's a lot of like really, really funny lines mm. um, from a, like usually in an episode there'll be like one character that's a star of the show that makes me laugh a lot. Usually it's Binky, but in this episode everybody kind of has a moment to shine, and like all the A bot plots and B plots are really funny. Like Arthur's dad's dad jokes. Uh, all the stuff with Bakey and his parents. Uh, this all stuff with the Sue Ellen is, like, pretty funny. Uh, I found this to be, like, the dialogue in this episode is really good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into this stuff with Binky. So at this point, Sue Ellen is kind of hearing all this stuff, and she's starting to get self-conscious about how her parents, uh, who are more worldly, might be uh, perceived by the other parents and the other kids. We get, like, a little imagine, a couple of imaginations here. Sue Ellen imagines her mother walking in with, like... Uh, Hang on, I'm just about to get to it here in the episode. She's got a, like, um, I I wouldn't I, I'm not I I wouldn't even be comfortable saying what culture it might be from, but she's got like a head wrap and this like striped green and purple kind of suit. And Mrs. Crosswire, mm. in her imagination, takes one look and spills all the tea. She just audibly whispered, "She looks like she got lost on her way to a clown convention," and everybody <laughs>, laughs. Boy, ooh man. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that it's was not rough. the most not the most open minded uh, uh, group of adults in uh, Swellen's imagination sequence here. In fact, uh, Bitsy Buster, uh, B- Bitsy Baxter says like this will make a great story for the paper. Look at this weirdo! It's like <laughs> hoy yeesh. She, uh, she even says you were right, son. They're not from this planet. <laughs> This uh, moment, the next moment, uh, imagination sequence was my favorite. Uh, this part is hilarious, where it's um, Swellen's dad doing something that he actually does in real life, where he's talking about their travels and how they lived in Nigeria, they lived in all these places, and then Mr. Rappern, who seems to be kind of, uh, I, I don't know what the word is, not xenophobic, but uh, very 
patriotic, starts to become concerned that Suellen isn't American enough and hasn't spent enough time in America. She says, uh, he says, uh, uh, who was the, is it the sixth president of the United States? The eighth president of the United States? I confess, uh, I confess I don't know. But Suellen, uh, t- Suellen doesn't know either. And then the look of shock and horror on Mr. Ratbird's face as he goes, it's John Quincy Adams. John and he's Quincy like, Adams. He's like disgusted. <laughs> and he's like, clearly Suellen hasn't spent enough time in America. You're going to get an extra test. This part, like, whereas the other part is like, kind of like, oh, this is a little like almost too dark. This part was like really funny to me. Uh, yeah, and uh, he schedules her for, like, ex- extra American history classes for the weekend. <laughs> I'm looking I- at it now. His face is so funny. Like, he's so upset that she doesn't know about John Quincy Adams. I- and, I mean, I think this this is one that, you know, could be argued it's steeped in a little bit of truth of Sue Ellen being ostracized for her lack of cultural American knowledge. It's like, mm. I can at least, you know what, unfortunately, in the world we live in today, that's not outside the realm of possibility. Uh, so yes, she starts to get the idea that maybe she might have to kind of tell her parents to dial it back a little bit. We go back to Binky's story uh, briefly here, uh, him and Brain, uh, he sees Brain in the sugar bowl and he's asking him, do your parents- Can I just ha- say, a yeah. little quick aside, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I might be bringing real world stuff into my, it might be coloring my opinion, but I, I gotta say, I don't know if I'm a fan of the Brain voice. I, I, I might be colored again by, by perceptions of- of uh of the actor bringing that into it but I, I don't know i feel like the other voice was more emotive this voice is just kind of like flat kid voice you know what i mean it's funny actually i i kind of disagree with you i like this brain voice um i I'm, I'm not exactly sure how i could put my finger on it but um i think it really fits his character in a different way than the original voice did in fact in the uh you know brain kind of started out same same position as arthur where like the uh the voice actor who was playing the original voice of Brain, like, his voice started to crack. And uh, as his voice got deeper, I kind of found I wasn't as into it because it wasn't able to kind of hit the higher register. And uh, the voice actor, who who will not name, but uh, we've <laughs> talked about in the previous episode, uh, I, th- I appreciate that he can kind of get to that higher register. I see what you're talking about, how he's a bit more uh, flat, but there's something about it I kind of like. And I feel like a character like Brain wouldn't necessarily be super emotive. So I actually kind of like it. One thing you can tell is that it's legitimately like a real kid, which is pretty rare these days. Like it, yeah. it stands out when when it's not just a, a girl doing a kid's voice and it's an actual child. Obviously, it's difficult to do that because of child labor laws and also getting kids to act is pretty difficult. Um, so when shows actually do it, uh, it stands out. One of my favorite examples is, have you ever watched Bravest Warriors on YouTube? No, I haven't. Um, their little sidekick, their little friend Catbug, I think his name is, mm. is voiced by like a legitimate six-year-old, and the voice is adorable. <laughs> uh, so that's that's a great example of that. Okay. Um, yeah, so Binky is asking Brain, he's asking Brain if his parents ever call him anything different at home. Such as... Like Little Muffin Man or Binky Winkums. Little Muffin Man. Uh, Yeah, and so Binky's kind of trying to keep it on the down low, but that's obviously what he's worried about with his parents. Brain is worried that his parents uh, will not... um, I guess they usually give them like mock tests when they do the parent open house night. And so he's afraid that he'll be seen as smarter than his parents, which would be a great embarrassment. We get a little cutaway where he's like literally lecturing his parents on like the sides of a triangle and like he asked them to do uh like essays and stuff like that 
So Oh, and so Brain's mom escapes by saying that she has to go take the laundry out, leaving only Brain's dad. And the way she runs out of the room, I assume she never came back. Nah. Uh, but she runs out of the room, and she leaves Brain's dad, who wrote an essay, um, and it's a handwritten essay. And Brain's like, I couldn't understand it, so it's time to work on your penmanship. And again, another great shocked face from Brain's dad as he realizes he's going to be stuck there all the longer. Yeah, big, big time. I do like how each of the each of these little stories gets a gets a little bit of time. Uh, so brain very very stressed that his parents could be seen as less intelligent than him, which would be very embarrassing. Um, I had a note here, and I'm trying to remember what exactly sparked it. Like Sue Ellen comes home and sees her mother dusting in a sari. This is where she kind of gets the idea if she can uh, like control essentially how her parents are going to be or kind of tone them down then they won't there'll be less risk of them kind of being seen as weird um so yeah uh, Sue Ellen offers to pick out her outfit for the for the night oh it was when her dad she and her dad go shopping and he identifies like a certain type of okra root yes um and it just kind of hit me that like Sue Ellen's parents seem really interesting like they seem like people that I would actually really like to meet in real life because of course as we find out later uh, Sue Ellen's father is a diplomat, which is why I was they... just going to say that's what makes it so. Because during all this stuff, I was wondering. I was like, you know, we talk a lot about how Sue Ellen's moved around her whole life, and she's been to all these different cultures and countries. And I was like, I wonder what Sue Ellen's dad does for a living. And then in the episode later on, they explain that he's a an American diplomat to all these places, uh, which is a job I know very little about, like the actual day to day of. And so much like you, I was like, oh wow, that's like so interesting. And there's not a lot of characters, especially in kids TV, that are diplomats. The only thing I can think of is like Lethal Weapon Two because they have diplomatic immunity. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I again, much like the lady who's looking at the okra root and being like, "What is this?" I'd love to have a conversation with Swell's dad. They do a really good job of, you know, if this character was handled differently, Swell's dad could sound like someone being like, "Well, actually, I know all about this because I'm so worldly." But they they do a really good job of making him seem charismatic and and just like a really curious, uh, uh, well-traveled guy, uh, someone you'd like to talk to. Same with her mom, the way her mom is so sort of engrossed in other cultures and stuff. They make them really likable. I think it's also a credit to the vo- to the voice performances of the actors playing her parents. Uh, her dad is this really kind of warm delivery that makes you kind of feel invited into what he's talking about rather than being talked down to about mm. his knowledge. And kind of the same... Uh, with her mother she seems very uh much like a free spirit but in a way that is uh very inviting yeah so i think the this is this is kind of our first seeing them uh beyond the episode where sue ellen uh got that little brother but we only saw them for a little bit there this is kind of seeing them a bit more as full people and i think it's really cool i'd actually like to see more of them uh, it's kind of sad because you see this we get this moment where sue ellen sort of cuts the conversation for uh short and ushers her dad the checkout line and and as the her dad's like loading the groceries into the car uh she's like could you not talk about all the places we've been because she's anxious about seeming weird and her dad it, it's a really really subtle moment but her dad's like oh like he wants his daughter to be happy so she, he's gonna do what she wants but you could tell he's like a little perturbed by the whole thing um so it's it's it, it's interesting i was like oh this is like kind of sad like she should i mean We'll talk about it later on in the episode, but you can't help as an audience member thinking like, oh, Swellen should be proud of like all the things her parents have done. It's so unique, but instead she's kind of embarrassed by it. 
Yeah, and we we see that as well in we actually speaking of eighties movies, we get like an actual honest to god fashion montage of uh, Sue Ellen's mom trying on all these different cultural outfits. Let's say, and she settles on a drab black number. She her mom looks like Ruth, oh. Ruth Fisher here. This is a great another like. Remember when I said every character gets at least one funny line? This is the one from Swellin's Bob. The comedic timing on this is perfect. Where she's like, uh, Swellin goes perfect, and then we see the reveal. Camera pans up on her drab black dress with her hair up, and she goes, "I've only worn this once to a funeral." <laughs> and she's like, her hair is pulled back. It's very like it's a very severe look compared to. All the other ones she's tried on, she just sounds so defeated and lifeless. It's great. Uh, I mean, not that, but the, the performance is great. Uh, we, we finally get to the parents' open house tonight. By the way, there's a, th- a couple throwaway lines here from Brain where he's like quizzing his parents. I was not aware that the capital city of Nevada is Carson City, so I learned something today. Ooh, me too. We also get like, again, this episode is really smart in the way it uses its time and how much time it gives each subplot. There's so many um, in this ensemble episode, but we even get some more stuff from the, like, if there's an A plot line and a B plot line, the Z plot line of this episode is Arthur's dad's dad jokes. That's like the least important one, but we still get a little spice on their way walking into the school and Arthur being like, no jokes today, dad, please. And Arthur's dad is just like so irreverent, like he, he can't help himself. Well, and yeah, he has like the like the the springy oh, goog- like, googly I'm, eye glasses. <laughs> he's like, I won't tell any jokes, but can I wear my funny glasses? And Arthur's just like rolling his eyes. I, I had the, I had this uh, I had I had this note for the end, but it's really true here as well. It's like problem with with Arthur's dad isn't that nobody gets his jokes; that his jokes suck. <laughs> he's just not a funny man. He's great at cooking, but the humor's something. Anyway, uh, yeah, so at this point, Sue Ellen has told her parents, like, please tone it down. Don't talk about, you know, your cultural experiences. Just kind of be normal. Um, uh, We get into Ratburn's class. Uh, He says that usually we have a uh, test for the parents, but we're not going to do that this year. And Brain's mom and dad just go, aw. I thought that was pretty good. And instead, he wants to hear about... He wants to have all the parents do a little presentation about who they are. Uh, the first one, of course, is Mr. and Mrs. Crosswire. Holy hell, did you clock Mr. Crosswire's suit? <laughs> He's channeling the, the, the great Don Cherry with his, <laughs> with his suit. Um, and, of course, Mr. Crosswire, ever the salesman, uses up his time. Instead of talking about his life, his child, his wife, he talks about his used car business sort of. Uh, uh, just qu- quick sales pitch. I didn't write down what what is his slogan. Um, no, it's I'm like the best deals on wheels or yeah. something like that. No, I think I think that's right. Um, so Ellen, so Ellen's mother and father get called up, and it's funny. Like all the parents are like, "Oh, they've been, oh, they've been everywhere." Yeah, oh, they're, they're, they're like, really like if you really listen closely, yeah, they're like, "Oh, they've been to Africa. It's so interesting. I can't wait to hear what they say." Like it's there's a lot of like little like lines in the background like that, and then again the comedic, the dry comedic timing of Swellen's dad being like, "I'm a diplomat," and his her mom's like, "I am a uh, homemaker." Like making it's even it, just the way he says it, it's still technically interesting. Like, oh, he's a diplomat, but they make them say it in the most boring way possible. And you can tell that like Swell's parents are like not happy that they have to say it that way. It's great. They have to hold back. It's really it's it's animated really well. It's it's delivered very well. It's uh, like they they both look so defeated and sagged. 
uh we also get we get another line so francine's dad's asleep and he wakes up and he's like 44 (laughs) this really left an impression on you that's funny we get we go into the art class where um sue ellen's dad uh sees that brain has done like a traditional african mask and he's about to like compliment it compliment him on it because it's apparently very good but sue ellen kind of pulls him back and he's just like that looks like it would be a good mask for halloween and i actually really like this touch because um so at the end of season five we get arthur's perfect christmas but we actually already did a commentary on that in case you want to uh uh, listen to that it's at soundcloud.com slash elwood city limits uh and that that's where like brain's african heritage kind of comes to the forefront where like he and his parents are celebrating kwanzaa and he even says like it's i i can't remember the exact line but it's like it's a mask of african heritage i i thought if anybody would know it would be your dad maybe it's not so good after all so i thought that was a really cool touch Binky's yeah, pa- Binky's great. Binky's parents are looking at a uh, painting that he drew in art class and uh yeah, this is where we hear like it's like did my Binky Winkums do that? And his dad's like not bad Mr. Muffin Man. And Buster turns around and he just goes Mr. Muffin Man. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then Binky's like they're not my parents. It's great. He just he grabs Buster by the collar and just whispers like they they're not really my parents. I don't know who they are. <laughs> so funny and then buster says something like ah so the barneses like are he, aliens too yeah he's like the barneses are aliens too the idea that like they would call him mr muffin man when his name is already binky like mr muffin man is so many more syllables than just the name binky and where did he get where did they get that from mr muffin man his head kind of looks like a muffin top oh, still image okay right yeah i guess mr. that's true i mean muffin man. oh and again binky just runs out of the room <laughs> And I mean, my parents called me weird things when I was not weird things, but just like you know, Mister Man and all this kind of stuff. So I guess I guess things in the family just stick. But it's just it's just funny to hear Mister Muffin Man out of context of uh, like how that happened. Uh, eventually, we get to the ice cream social part of the night. Sue Ellen's parents are being incredibly boring. Like uh, you know, Mrs. Crosswire actually compliments her uh, drab funeral dress. Sue Ellen's mom, and she's like thanks like just flatly and then uh we saw earlier in the grocery store when uh swellen's dad identified the okra it was actually george and his mom and she comes up to talk to him and she's just like you must have been to a lot of interesting places and he's just like not really just here and there <laughs> and it's just like man oh man and then finally sue ellen can't take it anymore she tells them that it's okay to be themselves they don't have to keep holding back for her sake and like sue ellen's mom undoes her hair and they're immediately so much happier and, and this is the part that reminded me of climax yeah so this which is, is sue ellen's mom is dancing in the middle of a circle of people and then we cut to arthur's dad with his tie wrapped around his head doing the chicken dance yeah, this is actually the end of the episode where it's like every all the kids are kind of eating ice cream together and being like, man, my, like my parents are weird and stuff like that. It's like, I guess we'll just never understand why they are the way they are. And yeah, this dancing circle. And hard to get the image of Dad Reed with his tie on his head doing the chicken dance out of your head. And just like, I guess the kids are embarrassed by us. And he's just like, I can't imagine why. <laughs> all right. And now we go into the second half of this Arthur episode, which is Nerves of Steel, S-T-E-A-L. So that might uh, tip you off a little bit as to what this one's about. 
Uh, Arthur introduces us again. He's reading comics at the table, and he's got a big plate of brownies. The Arthur Bra- the way they draw brownies in Arthur always makes me hungry for some. They always They're look very really angular good. in Arthur, yeah. And they and they got like two different shades of chocolate on them, and they just look like they would be very dense and chewy, and mm. ah, just makes me want some milk and a plate of brownies. Uh, so Arthur says, taking something that isn't yours it always leads to trouble. And we actually get Detective DW here, who's investigating the brownie thief. Because I always love when an Arthur episode, even if it's just a little one in the intro, always love it when they have a mystery. They're always so fun. And we, the way this is presented is really fun too, because uh, uh, like it's we see a lot of places in the Reed House we've seen before, like Arthur's mom's office or the outdoors. But they're all filmed with like Dutch angles. Well, filmed. They're all animated uh, with like crooked Dutch angles, just to add to like the mysteriness of it. Uh, as DW is snooping around trying to get to the bottom of who took the last brownie. Right, and she immediately suspects Arthur, which, of course, which, as we know, is a good angle to start with. But uh, he said he's gone to the dentist, and he's not allowed to eat any more any more sweets today, at least. Uh, so she she's looking for crumbs all around the all around the house, and then she finally finds Pal licking up a couple of chocolate crumbs. And At first, it- I was like, "Uh, do we need to take Pal to the veterinarian?" Like, uh, if Pal ate those brownies, that would be fatal. Yeah. So- I sure hope he wasn't the one, but luckily, uh, he probably should be licking up those chocolate crumbs either, but uh, uh, luckily it wasn't Pal who ate the brownies. Turns out it's the the chocolate crumbs are from Dad eating the very last brownie. Again, these are brownies that DW and Grandma Thora made the other day, and uh, she says, Dad, you stole my brownie? He's just like, I didn't steal it. I ate it. Very brave. And there's an amazing sting. Like There's like a, like a reveal sting. And then uh, a classic zoom in on uh, great react gif. Zoom in on on DW's shocked face as she's betrayed by her father. And then she runs out. She runs out of the kitchen saying that Dad stole the brownie. And Arthur's like, "Relax, DW. It's just a brownie, isn't it?" And we never follow up on it, which is kind of weird. Yeah, that is a weird line. It's like you'd think the episode would follow up on that because the way Arthur's like, "It's just a brownie, or is it? Isn't it?" Um, but, uh, that's just kind of like a weird non sequitur, I guess. Yeah. It's like dad ate the last weed brownie or something. Like can't just, can't just give, can't just give those away. You got to save them. Uh, so yeah. And the episode itself starts with Buster who is, uh, looking depressingly out his window and brain comes by. He's flying a model plane. He's asking why Buster is inside on such a perfectly good Sunday afternoon. So this entire a, uh, a superlative Super- Sunday afternoon, superlative. which is my favorite early two thousands metalcore band, superlative <laughs> Sunday afternoon. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. So this whole episode is Buster telling the story of why he's inside on a great Sunday on a superlative Sunday afternoon. And it all begins and ends with Cyber Toys, another toy line in the Arthur universe. I have a note here of like how many toy lines can we have, but you know what? You could totally ask that about the real world as well. How many different toys can we have? So Cyber Cyber to- Cyber Toys kind of remind me they're like uh, like Transformers derivative. There's one person that has like an elephant looking one that reminded me of Zoids. If you remember Zoids, yeah, yeah, uh, reminded me a little bit of when Metabots caught on, and you could get like the remote control ones. 
<laughs> oh, I didn't even know that there was remote control metal bots. Yeah, not not quite as sophisticated as in the show, but uh, yeah, there was there was definitely one that you could get. I wanted it, but I never got it. Uh, so yeah, that, I guess that would be the real world cyber toy equivalent. And uh, um, yeah, like we see a bunch of his friends playing with it. Binky uses it to scare Muffy and Francine. But the thing is, is that cyber toys are apparently very expensive. And uh, Buster and Arthur are not going to be getting cyber toys anytime soon. There's a part here where um, Buster is kind of talking about, they're looking at the cyber toys display at the drugstore. I wrote this down too. (laughs) Buster's like, look at the detail, the craftsmanship. And I was like, you know what? I could totally see Buster having a toy review YouTube channel. Oh my gosh, Buster's re- reviewing like Masterpiece Transformers, the die-cast metal like $100 ones where mm-hmm. it's like, uh, obviously uh, the Generation 1 Soundwave re-release, as you can see in the fine details. Uh, uh, or Buster would have like one of those uh, uh, Gundam building Twitch channels where he just builds Gundams on sh- on, on uh, camera. Yeah, Buster would be wearing a gunpla. It's funny this. Uh, it's funny this picture that we're painting of Buster as like a young adult. It's just like he stays in his college dorm, smokes weed, maybe watches Infowars.com, does Transformer toy rev- toy reviews, that kind of stuff. He's quite the. He's got quite a few in- uh, varying interests. And Buster imagines himself having a cyber toy, except in his imagination, it's this, like, life-size version of the cyber toy. It's, like, uh, the one itself, I forget if it's named or not, but it's, like, this green robot with, like, it's blue It's Doctor boots. something. It's, it's like, it Doctor, looks, it, and it, he's got a Z on him, so it's, like, Doctor, I, it's something that starts with a Z. Yeah, and it looks a bit like Doctor Doom. It's, like, green with a blue cape, uh, and... In this, in his imagination, it's life size, and it like announces his presence of like Buster Baxter as everybody's playing with their toy versions, and then it's like kind of jumping all over the place and shooting lasers. And I think Brain says, "Buster, that's the coolest cyber toy ever." And Buster responds, <laughs> "Of course, because he's mine." And so Buster and Arthur, I think, eventually ask their parents if they can have a cyber toy, uh, and I th- one of them says, "Like my mom just laughed." And Arthur and Arthur says, "My parents said if they if I want one, I have to buy it with my own money." What do you think? What do you think? In like maybe thirty bucks? Ooh, yeah, probably like a high end toy back in the day. Probably like thirty, thirty five. Yeah, and that's not um, that's not easy. That's a lot of Saturdays spent raking leaves and babysitting the Tibble <laughs> Twins. It's true. Got to be really worth it. They're both kind of feeling the the FOMO with with this one as they kind of stare longingly in the drugstore. And then, and then Buster makes a decision that will impact his life for the rest of the episode. That's um, right. Buster, uh, we talked about Buster's various interests. It turns out one of them that we didn't touch on is boosting. <laughs> and my, fav- my favorite thing about this is how, you know, so what Buster does is he puts it in Arthur's backpack, the toy, and uh, j- just kind of out of pure desire. And then at that after that point, as Buster starts to feel the guilt of what he's done, everything is being laid on so thick to compound his guilt. So, like, he puts oh the gosh. toy in Arthur's backpack, and DW says, I saw that. And Buster, like, yelps. But it's DW looking at a bionic bunny display, and like, I saw that lunchbox at school. 
And it's just like, and then he like immediately sees the security camera. Like it's just one thing after another. Uh, as he's, this is a little bit jumping ahead. We'll go back to the the current scene, but a little bit ahead, he's like walking down a street that we've never seen before in Elwood City. That's like a chain link. Like it's like a sketchy part of town, and there's like police sirens in the distance. I was like, this is a great touch. Like <laughs> Buster's literally never walked down this street before, but they made it just to like accentuate his paranoia. Because because Buster's already feeling the guilt because he's like, am I a real crook? And we get this. We get well, this. also he slips it into Arthur's bag, which is just a weird maneuver. Yeah, it it it's it, it just shows you that he really wasn't thinking. It's like Arthur's bag was open and he just did it. Um, we get this. Petty vi- theft reminds me of uh, the Jesus and Merrill podcast. They have multiple AKAs that they introduce themselves with, and one of Merrow's is if you see me at Target. Opening up candies or, or trying to steal kitty litter, uh, approach me like an earth sign mammal. I will rock, uh, react erratically. <laughs> uh, and so um, that's why uh, Buster was so startled here is because people weren't approaching him like an earth sign mammal. Uh, and we get a very involved uh, imagination that Buster has of if now he's a real crook. Uh, another Arthur meme alert here. It starts with Arthur being arrested and being taken out by two police officers. And I have definitely seen that in a meme form of uh, free, free Arthur, kind of that kind of thing. Buster happens to be part of the part of the crowd that is watching Arthur get taken away, and they're like, "Well, there he is. There he goes!" And like Buster runs away. And it's like a manhunt for him because there's helicopters out, uh, shining spotlights. He's wanted posters. Wanted posters. It's pretty good. And then Buster imagines himself. Mr. Ratburn's class is like a courtroom. Bus, uh, Ratburn's got oh. the powdered wig. This is this tr- is my favorite joke in the entire episode. This part is like. It's like a kids in the hall sketch or something. This part's <laughs> hilarious. So, so all of Buster's classmates are seated in the seated in the, the jury box, and Ratburn, who's the judge, asks them what they did this weekend. And it's so this is Brain followed by Francine followed by Binky. Uh, I studied motion detecting security systems. I read Crime and Punishment. I went on a field trip to the police station. <laughs> I was, like, dying of laughter at Pinky's. Like, his timing of, I went on a field trip to the police station. Like, he says it in a way that, like, Pinky's never said anything yeah, before. Yeah, yeah it's weird, weirdly, like, baby talk almost. It's very funny. And and then Buster admits before before the judge and jury, I stole a cyber toy. And then Rapperin says, well, Buster Baxter, that definitely makes you a real crook. And then he, his clothes turn into prison uniform. And even outside of that imagination, we still have, like, everything in Buster's life is being laid on so thick. Like, he passes by his friends playing baseball, and they're, like, urging on somebody to steal home base. And then Buster yells, <laughs> don't do it. It's not worth it. He goes, no, put it back. <laughs> and then he, he even gets into the shadow of, like a like, a fence. And it does like the prison bars over him and he just runs away. So he is he is melting under the pressure. And so eventually he has to go to Arthur's place and reveal the fact that he has the cyber toy in his backpack. And I got to say, I was really I really liked how Arthur reacted here, because like you would think that in a show like this, Arthur, not exactly the confrontational type. You know, he might be like, oh, no, what are we going to do? But he's like pretty he's pretty mad at Buster. He's like, great. Now I'm involved in this because you put the cyber toy in my backpack. Thanks a lot. Well, Buster made him an accessory. Uh, uh, so now Arthur's on 
uh, Arthur's just as involved. Uh, he's been unwillingly brought into this criminal scheme. Yeah, it was a really crummy thing of Buster to do. So I was glad that Arthur kind of didn't let him get away with it. But he is going to help him kind of figure out what to do here. And they decide that if they leave the cyber toy uh, at the door before the pharmacy opens the next day, before the drugstore opens, excuse me, uh, then they can kind of get away scot-free and leave a note saying that they're sorry they stole it. So they decide to do that. Buster takes the cyber toy out in his... In, in Arthur's garbage and it starts to make it's got these like noise these whirring noises that it makes when it walks like like robot noises and then it starts making those noises in the in the garbage and Buster's like uh oh must be my stomach <laughs> the next morning they decide they decide to meet early B- Arthur made the grade a mistake of having Buster write out the note which is oh my gosh, Buster's note's hilarious. When he's like, uh, it's like something like, "I'm sorry, Arthur took the toy." Signed, unanimous. Yeah, I've got it here. It's a uh, dear drugstore. We didn't mean to take this cyber toy. Somehow, it just showed up in Arthur's bag, a book bag, <laughs> signed unanimous. And Arthur's like, "Buster, don't say my name in there." And it's anonymous, not unanimous. It's like uh, spelling soccer with two two K's and a Q. Uh, forgot about smelling soccer with two K's and a Q. I can I can never forget about that. That is <laughs> that is the height, and it's like, are we sure that George is the one who's dyslexic? Not to <laughs> not to make not to make fun of it, of course, but it's just like Buster is not exactly on a third grade level, it seems, or at least maybe Arthur's way way ahead of him. So they're gonna go um, leave the cyber toy at the door, but the drugstore guy is who is weirdly friendly. The clerk just kind of is like, hey, boys, I'm just doing inventory, but come on in. And I wonder he, if this is the titular Jim, because it is Jim's drugstore. Oh, so it is. It must be Jim. Uh, but it's just like, you know, we've never seen Jim before. And it's just like he's <laughs> really assuming a lot about the boys. It's like, hey, boys, how you doing? Come on in. Like, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, Jim. It was at this point where it's, you know, when you really come down to it, the situation is not all that... Like, they're really making it a lot more complicated than they have to be. You know, it's basically like Buster put the toy in the bag. Like, all they have to do, do is pretty much put it back and they would be fine. Like, there's a way to do it and on the sly. But uh, when I was little, I remember this being like a nail biter because I didn't know any better. I didn't know the like the gravity or the full situation as an adult. But it's just like, boy, I really didn't want them to get caught, I remember. And so, yeah, they get to the display and all the, uh, what are they called again? I wanted to say Cybermen, but it's not correct. Cyber toys. The cyber toys are all sold out because it's as fads do. Um, and he, Jim says something about like, yep, I'm going to have more coming in soon, but they all sold out. Uh, so they're like, well, we can't put it back because he'll immediately know that we took it. So they should like, Arthur's like, okay, Buster, you run interference. I'm just going to leave it in this random corner in the store. Uh, but then it starts walking on its own again. Uh, and then we get this brief moment. Another one of my favorite lines in the episode is uh, they're about to walk out, but the Jim's like, aren't you going to buy anything? And uh, Buster goes, just these lawbreakers. I mean, jawbreakers. <laughs> By the way, 65 cents for a good handful of jawbreakers. Remember the day. Yeah, it's oh like bu- it, it, the cyber toys are like they sold an entire rack of them in less than a day. It's like. But it's like Buster stole a card of, of V-Bucks or something for Fortnite. They just can't hold on to them. 
so yeah, I don't know exactly how the cyber toys like walk on their own. I don't know if it's like remote control or something, but anyway, it walks directly up to the front of the store as they're trying to leave. Holding their ransom note, yeah, essentially. Exactly. And then uh, Jim puts it together and sees it, uh, sees what happened there. And Buster's like, okay, it was me. It's like, check your... Whoa, 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 we can't, we can't talk over this. This, this. Another moment of comedic timing where Jim sort of turns to... He's like reading the note and he's like, what's this about? And he turns to Buster and Arthur and they're both talking over each other. And you can't even make out what they're saying because they're both talking so quickly on top of each other. And it's a great like like smash cut to Buster and Arthur being like, I don't know, it was his idea that we did this and then we did this. And, uh, yeah, Buster, right after that, he admits that he did it. He's like, check your security camera. And Jim's like, my security camera? It's not even working. But my telephone is. (laughs) So. Okay, Jim. Like. (laughs) uh, So so Jim is going to call their parents and tell them what they did. And, you know, chides him. He's just like, you. I know you meant well by returning the toy. But taking in the first place, that's where you went wrong. Very wrong. So we and see- now I know this is a kid show, yes. and so they have to come down hard on stealing. There's not a lot of room for moral grayness here, but as an adult, I just gotta say I was not pleased with how mad Arthur's parents were at Arthur because they were like, "You should have come right to us." What you figured out what Bar- Buster did, and I was like, "Damn, like way to raise a narc." Like, okay, <laughs> like. Like, Arthur really was, I I think, the victim here. Like, he was brought in uh, by Buster, and it's like, Arthur didn't want his friend to get into trouble, and he tried to mitigate the situation as best he could. Buster wasn't even going to return it if Arthur hadn't suggested it, yet his parents are still like, you should have told us right away. And I'm like, okay, you bunch of narcs. Like... I I agree with you. Like I I was gonna make a note about this, and I'm like maybe I'm thinking too hard about it. Well, I, again, like obviously I'm not that mad about it because no. I don't expect a kid's show to come down like that. Like they had to be like, no, Arthur's just as bad because he held the, kept a secret from his parents. That's just the kid show thing to do. I'm just saying, like, as an adult, if I was in this situation, no way would I be telling my parents. Absolutely not. I would have done exactly what Arthur did and tried to fix it, but. In a way where, like, Buster could still get off scot-free and not, like, feel the full wrath. Right. And, like, it's it's understandable. And and you pretty much said it right there of just, like, if if they could do it without involving the parents, which it seemed reasonable that they could, then, you know, why, why even bother going that route? And it's, like, Arthur didn't do anything wrong. If anything, like, Buster did wrong to him. So yeah. I, I don't think Arthur deserved to be punished necessarily and like they're both punished uh eventually buster is like pretty much grounded i think Grounded for a month yeah it's like only three more weeks so we get a a cup so the whole episode is kind of told in flashback because it's buster explaining to brain why he can't go outside on the uh what is it the superlative sunday afternoon yeah uh and then he's like only four more weeks it's like oh geez and and also his mother his mother comes in and says, it's like, wash up for dinner, Buster, but remember, no dessert. And Buster just says, she really knows how to hurt a guy. We also get here, like, this is a pretty miserable ending. Like, Buster is so down in the dumps, and they're playing this. They're playing the same music from when Buster said goodbye to Arthur, and it's, like, really sad and, like, mopey. And, like, Buster ends off his story to Brain. It's like, and that's why I'm inside on a on a perfectly good Sunday afternoon because I took something that didn't belong to me. And Brain, what a great friend. He just says, wow, I'm glad I got mine for my birthday. See you later. 
Like, screw you, buddy. Like, what is what a crappy thing to say. Hey, Will, crime doesn't pay. But, like, not even like, wow, that stinks, Buster. Just like, huh, well, it didn't happen to me, so bye. Like, you want to talk about who's a narc, it's Brain. He's like, serves you right. 100%. 100%. And, that, and that's the end of that. It's pretty sad ending, all things considered. Uh, let's take it back to the first one. Kids are from Earth. Parents are from Pluto. Lucas, what? It seemed that you liked this one quite a bit. Yeah, I loved Kids are uh, from Earth. Parents are from Pluto. It's definitely like I mean, we're only episode two in the season, but um, after a pretty melancholy uh, first set of episodes last week, uh, this episode's awesome. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. It, it, it's it's my favorite aspect of it, it. It's an ensemble episode done right, where the a plot is obviously Sue Ellen. And her anxieties about um, other people not explaining, uh, understanding her parents, you know, worldliness, which is a pretty nuanced issue. Whereas the next episode is about stealing. It's a pretty black and white, like, kids morality episode. This episode's a very nuanced thing of like, hey, like, you shouldn't think other cultures are weird just because you don't understand them. You should have an open mind and be curious about that kind of thing, which is a great moral. Um, But then this episode is just peppered in. It's hilarious. Like, it's so funny uh, with all these different lines and all these different storylines. Like, every kid is worried about a different thing to be embarrassed about, and they're all funny. Like, Arthur and his dad's jokes, Binky and the Mr. Muffin Man stuff. Even Francine has, there's only, like, two little bits in the episode where her dad falls asleep and then wakes up thinking he's still in school. But they're both funny as well. I, I, I love this episode. It was awesome. You mentioned in the last episode that um, this is kind of when you started to really imprint on Arthur. These are the ones that you remember most watching as a kid, and mm. I and I do as well. But I was, of course, I'm you know a few years older than you, so by this point, Arthur was already taking up space in my brain. So I I completely understand if you found this a bit funnier than I did. Uh, the humor it was it was good, but it, it just didn't kind of I, I wasn't like rocking and reeling like it seemed like you were. But at the same time, uh, kind of talking about it, I realize how much I do like this episode myself. I don't think I like it quite as much as you, but I'd still say it's pretty good. Um, especially Mr. Rapper's face when he <laughs> says John Quincy Adams killed me. <laughs> I was like, that is so funny. He's like disgusted. I'll have to add that to the screen caps. I'll have to take a look at it again. But yeah, um, I thought this. I thought this was really fun. It's it's an ensemble episode that I think that they managed to give everybody enough time to invest in their stories enough where it did make you laugh or kind of uh, kind of make you feel exactly what they were going for. This part of Sue Ellen's parents I thought were awesome. I, like, I really wish that they're kind of up there with Oliver Frensky in terms of characters I wish kind of got more screen time, but at the same time, kind of seeing less of them makes me want more of them. So I guess that's kind of the trick. Uh, yeah, no, I just thought this was uh, quite a bit of fun. And uh, when the humor worked, it really worked. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't really have much more to add than, than Lucas other than, you know, I, I don't think that I was, uh, quite, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't love it, but I liked it. I thought it was very solid. Um, and Nerves of Steel, I will say, I think I liked a little bit less than Kids Are From Earth, Parents Are From Pluto, but I also think that they did it quite well. I remember as a kid, like, it was so suspenseful and hmm. it's, it's all about kind of reassessing it as you become an adult and seeing, like, okay, well, th- there's less stakes here than I thought. But for a kid, I think this works super, super well. And I and I think that the message, uh, you know, about not stealing, although it's pretty, 
uh, you know, 80s cartoon. It's pretty rote in terms of, like, it's been done before. Uh, I like kind of the spin they put on it. I like the cyber toys. I always like it when they come up with a new toy line. Uh, I loved the extended sequences where Buster's guilt, like, I just, I felt that a lot as somebody who has anxiety and kind of, like, when I was young and was doing something even that sniffed illegal, just that kind of guilt that weighs you down. I thought that was a great way to represent it. And, uh, uh, the the ending is is definitely a downer uh, because it's meant to be sort of a message there and of course I think it's a little silly that Arthur gets punished but again looking at this from an, an adult's perspective will kind of leave you feeling differently so I think that this one is also pretty good as well a little bit less than the story that came before it but altogether I think that these are both a very good um, package I kind of wish that this was the first episode of season five then I would have started off on a bit of a better foot than with last week's episode. Yeah, I almost completely agree with you. Um, it's everything you said, almost like even the fact that, like, I remember when I was a kid, and whenever I did something like to the level of stealing or something like that, I was always wrought with guilt. Like every waking moment, I was thinking about like, what if I get caught? Like, there's all these things. Like, that's just the type of person I am. So I definitely, like you, empathize with Buster. And when he's walking past that chain link fence and see hearing the sirens in the distance, and his mind's just like, oh my god, but uh, Arthur's gonna get arrested, and then I'm gonna be on the run, and all this stuff. Um, and like you said, I think uh, it was. I liked it less than um, kids are from. Uh, what is it? Kids are from Pluto. Parents Earth. are from Mars. Or kids are from Earth. Parents are from Pluto. That's it. Uh, I, I did didn't like it quite as much as I liked that episode, but it's still a really entertaining episode. Like you said, suspenseful. Um, there's some still funny lines in there, like uh, just these lawbreakers. I mean, jawbreakers. Or yeah. I went on a I went on a field trip to the police station. <laughs> um, <laughs> And there are, like, a few parts that, like, as an adult, I find kind of hard to watch. Like, when uh, Arthur's really cornering Buster about it in his room, there is a lot of, like, that 80s cartoon moralizing, like you said, of, like, no, stealing is wrong in every every sense. Uh, uh, Same with, like, the ending of the episode of... I always prefer... Uh, when an Arthur episode is trying to teach some sort of moral, I always prefer the ones that are a little bit more nuanced just because, of course, I'm an adult, so that's what I'm going to prefer, much like Kids Are From Earth where it's it's a very nuanced issue, whereas this one's very much like, oh, you shouldn't steal, which is something that's kind of rote in cartoons for kids. Like, I could see where it was going from a mile away. Um, but everything else in it is, is structured pretty well. And it, it remains, even though you know exactly where it's going, it's a fairly entertaining episode. And, and again, uh, much like you, I love it when they come up with the fake toys. So that part's fun as well. It's almost like if they wanted to do something similar to like cartoon all-stars to the rescue of like just a straight up anti-drug, like dare kind of thing. And of course it's not, not nearly that intense, but that's the kind of stuff that a lot of eighties cartoons and and early '90s cartoons would would tackle like the the messages, and I felt like it was kind of old school a little bit in its messaging, but it's also for very young kids. So you know, it's I understand I understand why they did it, but it'd be interesting to see how this message might change if it were done a bit in a bit more modern uh, context. Buster's like stealing cryptocurrency. <laughs> like, oh I, no, Buster! You got all that Ethereum off the dark web. <laughs> no, like I said, he'd be stealing like uh, uh, coupons for V Bucks. Because he's oh got to get that. He's got to get that <laughs> yeah, new Fortnite he'd, dance. He'd be messaging kids on on PlayStation Network. Add me. Add join my group. Get free V Bucks. 
All right, so that is that episode of Arthur for you. Season five, I mean, it, it's hopefully, I, I don't mean to put any undue pressure on it to deliver, but I mean, this is the one that won the Emmy, so I'm looking forward to what it, else it has in store. Clearly, one episode does not a bad bad season make, as we've seen by by this episode, which is quite good. And we may see, indeed, next time we are here on Elwood City Limits. Before we get into all that, though, Let's talk really quick about how you can keep up with us during the week. Uh, Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Uh, on Twitter, we are at ECL Podcast. On Tumblr, you can send us an ask over there or just check out our reblogs, elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention, yes, we are on Instagram now. Uh, we are at Elwood City Limits. So add us over there. Give us some hearts. And, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to <laughs> refigure out how to use Instagram after several years of not having it. So apologies if my, uh, if my game is enough to snuff. I'm going to try my best to get it there. Uh, thank you to Erzcat and Kelsey for their emails, ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And, of course, you can find the podcast by going to ElwoodCityLimits.Libsyn.com, L-I-B-S-Y-N. We're also on Apple Podcasts and, Lucas, as you told me, Google Podcasts, not Google Play. That's right. Not no longer Google Play, uh, it's the it's Google Podcasts. I'm also going to see about maybe getting us uh, trying to get us back on Spotify at some point. For some reason, that didn't work out the first time. I'm going to try again. Yeah, the and Spotify if, stuff is weird. Yeah, so we'll see, and hopefully we will be able to. Also, also a quick yeah. quick thank you to everybody who voted for us in the Best of Halifax Awards. It's going to be a couple months. Uh, probably late October, early November when we hear the results, but we'll be sure to keep you updated. Thank you to everybody who voted. I, I'm Now you don't have to be annoyed by us reminding you every week, but I still really, really, really appreciate everybody who uh, took the time out of their day to vote for us. It means the world to me. And it means the world to me, too. Thank you very much. And uh, you won't have to hear about that uh, for another little while, unless hopefully uh, we get some we get in the top three. So let's let's cross our fingers, but uh, we'll let you know either way. Uh, coming up next time here on. Oh, and also before I forget, I've you know, I keep kind of letting this fall by the wayside. Did you know that Elwood City Limits has two full-length commentaries for Arthur specials? At the end of Season 5, Arthur's Perfect Christmas, if you'd like to watch that again, as we do, we are just a couple of months away from the holidays, uh, check out soundcloud.com slash Elwood City Limits. And you can also go to our Arthur It's Only Rock and Roll commentary, and you don't even have to pay a cent for it, unless you want to, over at Bandcamp. I believe it might be bandcamp.com slash Elwood City Limits, but search for us over there, and you can find that commentary as well. I'm going to be uh, putting those hopefully under the same banner uh, after a little bit, so uh, stay tuned for that. And, of course, uh, one more thing, patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. That's where you can get all the commentaries, all of the filibusters for uh, weeks where we're unfortunately too busy to do an, a full episode where we just talk about what's going on in our lives. That's patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. All it takes is a dollar a month. Once we get to 10, we will be getting our own private Discord server. So check it out. See if it's for you. All right, coming up next time here on Elwood City Limits, it's going to be It's a No-Brainer and The Sure Thing. So I think I remember what both of these are, but we'll have to wait and see. I have no idea what those episodes are, so I'm excited. Well, Lucas is uh, going to be going back to school, but uh, and I'm going to be going back to work myself. Canadian Thanksgiving coming up in just a couple weeks, and we'll be uh, sure to be celebrating that as well. My name's Will Young for Lucas Mancini. It's okay if you are. I like aliens. It's a friendly planet. We'll see you next time.